tonight is we're continuing on this series uh, called Thrive, looking at the life of Daniel, looking at the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go to Daniel chapter three, or if you have a smartphone, you can pull out your smartphone. Don't check the football score, but you're welcome to log into YouVersion. They've got all our sermon notes and the scriptures we'll look at there. And as you're turning there, I want you to think about one of your favorite trophies. So <clears throat> my trophies are in a box, um, kind of hidden back in the garage, but this is one of the ones that my son has. This is from a flag football team that I, I coached with him, and that was a pretty exciting year. That was We've had worse years. We went 0 for 10 one year. That was not a fun year. Um, we still gave out participation trophies. I don't know if that makes me bad or not, but anyway, um, this is one of the trophies where we did pretty well that season, and and my son's got these, this trophy shelf that's kind of up uh, in his room. And there's lots of different things and achievements and accomplishments there. And maybe you have some things like that. Uh, and as a kid, it's something you kind of aspire to. You like collecting those. And then you get older and you realize, okay, well, you know, a flag football trophy really isn't that big of a deal when you're 45. It was just... You know, it's nice, but it wasn't that big a thing. But maybe you collect other achievements or other accomplishments. You, you get the, maybe the vacation from the, the sales, being the highest sales rep or something like that. And that's a pretty sweet gig. And, and, I, and I hope you get that. You know, maybe you get the plaque that hangs on the wall that you're kind of the, the all-star player around the office or you're the, one of the best teachers at the school that you're at or uh, you, you do excellent work and you get kind of that star of excellence as a nurse. Uh, maybe that's where you're at or different accomplishments that you can go after. And the older you get, there's great confidence and there's great um, healthy pride that comes with that. But at the end of the day, I think we all kind of hit a stride where we begin to realize, you know what, at the, at the end of my life, all these things just wind up in a box. And then maybe they wind up at Goodwill and someone might buy my trophy and stick a new plaque over it and give it to their five-year-old son of the accomplishment of he did. And at the end, you're kind of like, well, that seems meaningless. Like, it, doesn't, it has a shelf life to it, doesn't it? And in tonight's story, what we're gonna look at is a king who we kind of already know is a little crazy, um, and Nebuchadnezzar, who I think is beginning to wrestle with some of that reality. Because what do you do when you're the greatest king in the planet at the known time? And, and Babylon is this greatest nation known to man that you've accomplished everything. You've conquered everyone you can possibly conquer. You've earned all the trophies and you've got the whole trophy shelf. You've undertaken so many building projects and things are unfolding for you that the trophy shelf is full. And so what, what do you do? when the trophy shelf is full. Well, for most people, maybe they get another shelf. And for other people, maybe they think, okay, we're gonna uh, try aiming in a different direction and kind of maybe go become a humanitarian or, or do something else that maybe gets meaning. For, for crazy Nebuchadnezzar, he just decides that he doesn't need another shelf, he just needs a bigger trophy. And so that's the story that we're gonna look at in Daniel chapter three. Here's what begins to unfold. So. Daniel, right, he's already been a person who lives with these godly convictions, 
but, but he has these graceful interactions, right? He has this inner fortified faith that he's been living out. He's been practicing he and his squad. We've said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they've kind of become the stars of chapter three here. What you'll see is they've been living out this faith journey of saying, okay, we may be in your world, but we're not gonna be of it. We're gonna be different. We're gonna, we're gonna play nice, and we're gonna get along, but we're not gonna trade in some things. We're not gonna compromise in some ways. We're not gonna disobey God in order to obey you. And so the kingdom's kind of rolling on. Some years have transpired from the time that Daniel is kind of answered. Remember the king had that weird dream that no one could interpret. He interprets it. Some years have unfolded along the way. Daniel's in higher power. He's gone from this refugee to this prime minister, so to speak. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've got some power and they're wielding that. They're living in Babylon, right? And so Nebuchadnezzar, over time, kind of looks at this idea and realizes, I've got all the trophies. Maybe I need a bigger trophy. And so in his own wisdom, he decides to build a 90-foot statue, nine feet in diameter, of himself. Let's just forget the trophy shelf. Let's just get a bigger trophy. And so this is what transpires in Daniel chapter three. Here's what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, that's 90 feet, that's eight stories, just keep that in mind, six cubits wide, and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned all the satraps, the, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the provincial officials. So like anyone who was important, you got to show up, right? Anyone ever been called into an office meeting before and like you're, you're trudging along the way and you have no idea what to expect, and, but you, you're there. Like the boss has called the meeting and you're going all in or maybe you've been uh, on a sports team, the coach has called an emergency meeting or called an impromptu meeting and you're walking down the aisle and you're kind of like, well, what do you, what do you think we're going to do? I don't know. I have no idea what to expect. And, and maybe that's what's going on. And so here you have just thousands of people, of officials, who are making their way. Now, here's what we know from history. That about six miles from Babylon, in this plain area, they've actually uncovered a platform that would have been big enough for this, that actually would have held this kind of statue that was being built. Uh, would have, they've had, they found other statues that were about 50 feet high, and so Nebuchadnezzar obviously just wants to outdo that uh, in that time period, because if you don't get a bigger trophy shelf, just get a bigger trophy. And so he's un kind of wielding this out. Why is he building such a giant statue of gold? We, it's probably not solid gold, but it's probably outlined in gold, kind of covered with gold, and that's like expensive, don't you think? So it's a big deal. Okay, we're talking like major bling, okay? How many of you like bling? You like bling, you can have lots of, okay. This is like bling on steroids um, for Nebuchadnezzar and, and for something that's happening. Why is he doing this? You ever stop to ask yourself that? I know he's a crazy guy, so you really can't predict it, but maybe he remembers back to what Daniel said. Remember, Daniel interpreted that dream that God gave him and said, hey, king, you have to understand your rule is temporary, and God's given, given you a, an insight into what's gonna come, okay? The head of the statue that he interpreted, that's you, king, okay? You're the head of gold, Okay, but there's gonna be these other kingdoms that come along the way after you, and God's kinda, the great God of the heavens and the earth is showing you how history's gonna play out. And I wonder if when Nebuchadnezzar heard, I'm the head of gold, that he just kinda tuned out from that place. I don't know. Maybe he just kinda ruminated on that for a little bit. Maybe a few months go by, a few years goes by, and he's like, hey, remember that dream? Head of gold, just the head? 
conquered everybody. Maybe, maybe I'm bigger than that. Maybe actually what I've achieved and what I've accomplished is worth more than just a head of, like why do I have to just give myself to things that were gonna fade anyway? Let's, let's make something like an eternal difference for myself. Uh, and so let's just do something that will last forever. I know, I'll build a giant statue of myself. That will last forever. We'll make it so big and so heavy and so massive and so awesome that like people from everywhere, uh, they'll notice. Like this will go down in history. That's what I should do. So that's what you do when you're a crazy king. Uh, and so, and you have all the power and authority and, and so things begin to play out and they have this and then they call this office meeting, right? And everyone's walking to the office meeting, not knowing what to expect. And they show up in the Plains area and I want you to think of the fullest like football stadium or soccer stadium that you've ever been in, okay? I want you to picture that because that's kind of what it would have been like. This wasn't a gathering of just 150 people. This was thousands of people, right? And so they're called before Nebuchadnezzar and then things begin to unfold in a little bit stranger way. They're called to this dedication, but it actually takes a weird turn. And it goes from this dedication of, hey, that's really big statue. Good job, King. All right, everybody back to work. It goes from that into a guy in a bullhorn, probably, who yells out instructions. And you can read on in the story where he says, hey, people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity, here's the deal. When these instruments over here begin to play, and he kind of names 10 or 12 different instruments, impressive band, it's awesome, it's a great band, it's kind of like the Roots from Jimmy Fallon, it's awesome, it's like pre-Roots. And so, like, they're gonna play, and then when that music plays, you are to bow down and worship this idol and kind of help us dedicate this and to give your allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar, okay, everybody? That's what's gonna happen, that's what's gonna happen, okay. So the band starts striking up the music, right? And then you have a stadium full of people begin to bow down and worship, except three that we see, or three that at least get called out, maybe more. But what's interesting is, y'all seen the wave in stadiums before? So like when the wave is going around the stadium, do you think every single person stands up for the wave? How many of you are the people that are like, I refuse to stand up for the wave, okay? The rebels in the room, okay? The rest of you are like, oh, look, I'm going along with it, yay. Uh, but some of you, you're like, no, I rebel, I'm not doing that. Uh, and so when the wave goes around the stadium, what's true is it feels and looks like everyone's doing it, right? It just looks like this massive wave is going across the stadium, but the truth is we know not every single person got out of their seat. So think of this. Here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, section 417, row 11, seat 789. The roots start up their music, right? Music begins to play, or sorry, pre-roots, uh, plays up their music, things begin to play, thousands of people begin the wave of laying down and worshiping or bending down and worshiping, and we have section 417, row 11, 789, not doing that. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar from the stage or from where, or like by the statue, do you think he noticed that? Probably not. If it's thousands of people and there's just a few people that aren't doing it, probably isn't gonna catch his attention because it just looks like the wave's happening and everyone's participating. 
And so the story kind of goes on. I don't know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thinking. I don't know what I'd be thinking. What would you be thinking? So wait a minute, I showed up for the office meeting. I thought we were just here, like, cut the ribbon, eat a piece of cake, you know, celebrate the big trophy. That yay, good for you, go back to work, right? Back to my cubicle. But now they're like, whoa, like, we have to worship? What does that mean? We have to sing the song? I've never heard of a lyre instrument. I don't know what that is. But they're going to play, and I have to listen to it. And then we have to bow down. Okay, um, do you think Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, do you think they were like, gosh, I don't know about this whole thing. I don't want to do it, but I'll tell you what, um, I'm just going to like, oh, look, my shoe's untied. <laughs> just I'm going to tie my shoe here. Just to, just. Oh, all right, we're done? Okay, perfect, okay. Is it, is it a posture that we need, King, or is it a position of the heart? Like, can, can I, oh, I dropped my contact lens. Let me just look down here, look for that. Let's look around. Okay, get back up. Okay, um, <clears throat> what do you think might be going on in their heart, their mind? What, what might be going on in yours? Here's the reality of human nature. We don't like to stand out. I mean, it's a stadium full of people. Who's gonna notice if, if I just kinda like bend over and tie my shoe? Like if I just kinda position myself where I don't really draw attention to myself a whole lot for taking a stand, but God, you know my heart, like I'm taking a stand, I'm standing up for you. I'm just gonna tie my shoe. Do you, do you wrestle with it? Is that what's going on here for them? Or do they stand boldly like, <laughs> that's stupid. Nope, 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 nope. Do they draw attention to themselves? Because what you don't see in section 417, row 11, seat 789, is people trying to draw attention to themselves. You just see them being them. But here's what happens is, there's some people in row 415 who notice that they didn't tie their shoe or that they didn't bend over, then they certainly didn't worship. And so they very quickly take the elevator down and run over to King Nebuchadnezzar because they have an in with the cousin who's on the stage with him. And they go up to the king and say, King, <laughs> king you're awesome, you're great. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, section 417, row 11, seat 789, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't really follow your instructions, king, and you're a great king. Uh, we just wanted to point it out that uh, we followed your instructions, uh, but they didn't. Uh, section 417, yeah, row 11. That's, I don't know if you noticed or not, but just right up there. Um, and they get found out. And so the king, being a great and gracious king, calls them down for a meeting, right? The great and gracious is the sarcastic part. Uh, he's angry that people in, that he has given power over and people that he's kind of in charge of aren't following along the rules and the instructions that have very clearly been laid out. And what's interesting in here is, why section 417? There, we know there's other Jews that were captured and caught and maybe been given power. Maybe they were in section 312. Did they get pointed out? No. Not that we see in the story. Very potentially could have been other people. But it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that get identified here, pointed out. And here's what I know about real life. I don't know why some people in section 312 
never really get pointed out. It seems like blessings just kind of unfold in their life and things are pretty pretty normal and things are going along. But the people in section 417, they, they kind of get hit with these storms of life all the time. And maybe you can identify. Maybe you're one of the people that, you're like, man, I feel like I log a lot of time in section 417 because it just feels like the storms of life keep coming my way. I'd like to sit in 312 for a moment, if that'd be all right, because it seems like they've got it pretty easy. And, and I wish I had an answer for you. I wish I had an answer that, to tell you, here's why some people just seem to face struggles, storms of life, those moments of fire a little bit more than others. I, I don't know. I just know what happens. And I know for people in section 417, it can be really tiresome. And maybe you sit here tonight, and you're like, just really tired. And you can identify with some of the songs we're singing because you just feel that weight in life. And here's what I would encourage you. Stay faithful. I don't know why, but what you see in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and thousands of others through the scriptures, is when they face those times of struggle, they just, the best they know how, they just keep going. And that's what I would encourage you, is just keep going. Keep the faith. I wish it was different. And I will pray that maybe you'll get to switch sections a little bit. And for those of you who are in section 312 where life's good, things just kind of unfold easy for you, just remember that there's people in section 417 that need our prayers and need our help and need our companionship, need to be in community with us because just life's challenging at times. And it's tough. So section 417, these three guys, seat 789, <laughs> they get called before the king, right? So here's what unfolds. Furious with rage. Um, furious and rage are kind of the same thing, so the writer just wants you to know he's really ticked. Uh, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men were brought before him, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, hey, I don't know if you noticed. Is it true? Like, did you guys bend down to tie your shoe? Did you did you worship? Like, did you do what we were ask of you to do? That the world that we've kind of set up the system that you kind of follow along and that you do it, uh, and kind of pointed out that you didn't do it that way. Is that true? And they're like, Yeah, that's true. He's kind of beside himself. He kind of goes on. Now look, uh, when you hear the sound, and he kind of names all these instruments again, when the the pre-roots band begins to play again, I'm going to give you another shot, another chance, like right here in front of me. So if you would actually just bow down and worship this idol in me because I'm awesome. So if you would do that, then I'm going to let you live, okay? But if you don't, well, there's this thing called the furnace over here. We cook our bricks in it, make our buildings of it, and we're actually going to bake you. So like a pizza tonight, right now. So like, here's your option of what you've got is we're gonna strike up, hey, uh, pre-roots band, would you strike it up again? And we're gonna give you an option, right? So the band begins to play again at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just stand there. This had to be awkward. I mean, if you're the greatest king on the known planet, you're not used to people standing up to you, especially peasants who have been given power only because you gave them power, 
not because they have anything to contribute in your mind, and they choose not to. It goes on. Here's what they reply with, which is a great question. Uh, He actually goes on and says, look, uh, but if you do not worship, then you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Think about how arrogant of a statement that is. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? If you're ready to fall down, then do it, but who's gonna actually rescue you? So this had to be an incredibly tense moment if you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Uh, We know this is a children's story, but put your adult self there. This had to be a crazy moment for you. Okay, I either bow down and I can pretend to tie my shoe and just kind of go along with this, or I'm gonna bake like a pizza. Which, Which one would you choose? See, learning to trust God's wisdom above your own is not an easy lesson in life, especially in times of trouble. Relying on God's wisdom can try the faith of even the most spiritually astute. And in this moment, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they take a stand, literally, a stand, to say, King, uh, it doesn't matter what happens, here's their words. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 16, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's small hand. I added that part in. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship this image of gold that you have set up. God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not gonna disobey God in order to obey you. This is the stand we're taking. In this moment, Daniel's squad chooses to fight fire with faith. I think God loves when his kids fight fire with faith. It's not easy because it costs them. But they made the decision to say, we're not gonna be people who shrink back from the challenge in front of us. In fact, King, what seems very tangible right now, because we can kind of feel the heat from this furnace that you have, God is actually more tangible than even that. And he is more than capable of saving us. But even if he doesn't, we're gonna be with him. And yeah, we're not doing that. Because that's a command against God. I won't be a Christian who allows the fear in front of me to determine if I'm going to obey or not that we get to a place of choosing. I will not be a Christian who allows the decision in front of me to determine if I'm gonna actually act out in obedience. I have purposed in my heart to follow God first and foremost to the very end. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Is he impressed by their faith? Guys, that's awesome. You are so bold. That is great. Let's go down to Smashburger and hang out for a little bit and talk about it. Is that what he does? No, Smashburger wasn't around, he didn't do that. Um, Instead, he gets even more ticked, and he heats up the oven seven times hotter, and commands soldiers to throw them in. You can read it in the story itself, but even the soldiers who go to throw them in, they're burnt up trying to get them into the furnace, so they're killed. 
So these three end up in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar is kind of, you know, watching for them to burn up type thing, and then actually looks into the furnace, because this furnace actually to make these bricks would have had ventilation shafts that go up holes where you can actually kind of see in. And he's far enough away because it's, it's hot, and he doesn't want to be there. Uh, he didn't make it for himself, he made it for them. So he stepped back, but he's able to look in, and he's actually not just seeing three people, he's seeing four. And they're walking around having tea, having a conversation. And the chains that they were bound up in are gone. The ropes that they were tied up in are burnt off and, and they're gone, but they're actually walking around. Here's how it plays out. I'll just read it to you. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked the advisor, hey, didn't we throw three people in there? Uh, yep, yep, King, uh, three. We counted along with you. One, two, three, three. That's who we sent in. He says, look, I see four men walking around in this fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace, shouted out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, you come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, all these other people. Uh, they saw them, and the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. The robes were not scorched, and they did not smell like fire. Listen, how many of you have ever spent any time around a campfire? How many of you, when you get home, you smell like campfire? That's 100% of you, okay? What did the Bible just say? So not just a miracle that they lived, but their hair is not singed. Anyone ever singed your hair before? That smells, okay? Anyone been around a campfire? Okay, that smells. They don't even smell like they've been in a fire that was heated up seven times hotter than normal as they come out. Then Nebuchadnezzar said to them, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any other God except their own. Therefore, I decree, I love this from the king, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut up into pieces and their houses burned to rubble. That was a repeat from chapter two. This guy just loves to do that. <laughs> For no other God can save in this way. What was his question before? Who's gonna, what God can save you from my hand? And now at the end of the story, no other God can save like yours. What God can save you from my hand? That's a question the king asked. Here's my question. Where's Daniel? <laughs> Where's Daniel? In this whole story, he's been the primary character. And all of a sudden, his squad is front and center, right? Where's he? Did he and Nebuchadnezzar have a conversation in the kitchen back at the palace? And him, hey, Daniel, we're gonna go uh, dedicate this, uh, this statue of myself. It's pretty awesome. Um, and Daniel, I know you kind of like don't do that type thing and I'm gonna pe put people in the furnace if they don't and all that kind of stuff. So why don't you just chill here in the kitchen and because I like you, you interpret dreams, it's awesome. So just stay here and like lay low. <coughs> you have a cough, right? Just play sick. I don't know why Daniel's not there, but he's not. But his squad is there and they've made this decision and they stand up in great boldness to say, God, we're gonna follow you and you alone. I, I love, this is what I wrote. Biblical faith is not confidence in a particular set of outcomes. It is confidence in our sovereign, good, and for us God. You can read more about that in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's not, faith is not a confidence in the outcomes. King, we're not gonna worship your idol. We're not gonna worship you. We may be in your world, but we're not of it. 
we're not gonna disobey God in order to obey man. And, and our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, this is what we've decided. We're not making this stand based on outcomes. Typically, that's how you make a stand. That's how you make a decision. There's a researcher in Columbia who said that the average person makes 70 decisions a day. I think moms of toddlers probably double that is my hunch, but 70 decisions a day, that's 25,500 decisions a year that you're making. Over 70 years, that's 1,788,500 decisions that you're making in a lifetime. And the truth is, your life is a sum of all those decisions and the choices that you make. And in this particular moment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to make one of those big time decisions. And in that moment, they decide, we're gonna side with God, even though that may cause trouble and ripples going out the other way. We're gonna decide to go with him. So here's a takeaway and a question to leave you with as we move into time of a communion in a moment in a time of worship as we end up tonight. And the one takeaway is this. Christianity is a call to be set apart, not to blend in. In our culture, it's really easy for us as Christians, followers of Christ, sometimes to want to bend down and tie the shoe. I'm gonna look enough like the world that you can't tell. I'm gonna just tie my shoe, and I'll kinda like, I'm in a posture that's kind of like the people around me, but the position of my heart, God, is different. It's different. It's you and me, you, you know that, right? And yet what we see in scripture sometimes is it's not that we, we can't have things of the world or, or have you know, values and, and, and priorities and things that we care about, but the reality is we're called to be set apart. We're called to be different. That we're set apart in how we manage money and how we navigate that. We're set apart in how we handle our sexuality. We're set apart as how we handle our emotions, our interactions, our reactions with people. We're set apart from our values and our priorities and our language that we even use. That we make decisions that say, God, we wanna honor you in all areas of our life. And that means I may look different at times than maybe the world around me. Peter writes about this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Friend, there are gonna be times where you have to lean into being set apart and not just try to blend in. Here's the question. What idols are keeping you from walking closer with the one true God? The truth is there will always be idols pulling for our attention, our affection, our, our priorities in life, promising something better than what God says he'll deliver. But all of those promises are hollow. And they may deliver it in moments, but they can't sustain it. And God says, I want you to follow me and follow my best because it has sustaining power, because it comes from me. And so are there things in your life that you need to let go of? Things that you need to say, hey, I I'm not gonna choose that. I'm gonna actually go a different way. See, God gives, goes all in with his love, right? And what he longs for is a reciprocated love in return. 
not a coerced love, but one of our own choosing. That's what true love is. True love is this true devotion to someone. I love my wife. We've been married for 21 years. I don't have a lady on the side because that's cheating. That's not true love. I'm going all in on true devotion to say, I choose you over and over and over again. It's a decision. Love is a decision. It's not a feeling. It may have feelings, but it's a decided choice. Of which, can I remind you, you probably make about 70 decisions a day. About 25,500 decisions in a year. About 1,788,500 over the 70 years or more of your life. Each decision matters. Because what it comes down to is, who are you gonna decide to truly love and aim your devotion in their direction? And God says, would you pick me? You could pick other things. But see, I've picked you. And that's what we come to in a time of communion, is remembering that Jesus picked you before you ever even thought of him. Before you ever even heard his name, he picked you to say, you're worth my pursuit. And so as we enter into a time of communion, as you hold that bread, as you hold that juice, remembering his body broken for you, his blood shed on your behalf, that this is a moment for you to to re-anchor yourself, to say, I wanna be a person who chooses, God, you're gonna get my love and devotion, first and foremost, before anything else. I don't want you to be crowded out by anything else. And I wanna be a person who lives by this conviction, that I could be an individual who, who lives by godly convictions and graceful interactions, and that I can make the decisions in the moment I'm in to pick you. And so Father, I pray that you would guide our time in worship, that you would guide our time in communion as we look at the reality that you chose us, Jesus. Before we ever even heard your name or heard about you, you pursued a relationship with us. And we are forever grateful for that. God, we live in a world with so many distractions and so many voices calling out for us to bow down and to worship and to pursue with all of our energy all these other things that promise really good things, but they can never deliver like you do. God, devotion is a daily decision. And it's in those moments where we fail, we get back up and say we decide again, God, we choose you. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for never quitting on us, for never abandoning us. Would you give us the power to choose you again? So as we take communion, God, we choose you. And this week, would you help us to be a people who are able to be set apart, maybe in the way we use our language, maybe in the way that we manage the resources that you've given us, maybe in the way that we navigate the decisions and choices and circumstances in front of us that, yeah, we may be different, but it's a good different. You call this the salt of the earth, the light of the world, because you wanted your people to make a difference in the world, not just blend into it. So would you help us as believers, as followers of Jesus, to be the seasoning that this world needs? 
Give us power in the moments of each decision we face to choose you. We ask that in Jesus' name.